All right, so how many people in here have ever made a mistake, ever done something stupid? <laughs> yeah, but if I had more than two hands, I would, <laughs> I would raise them all. So we've been talking about, we started last week, who are we listening to, right? And if you're like me, you've probably listened to all the wrong people. I should have, as I mentioned last week, listened to my wife more often when she tells me things. I have a problem with, yeah, with, with learning the hard way. And I, I shared a crazy story with you last week, but I was thinking of another one as well that I had. And, you know, I, I try to, uh, the problem is, is when, you, when you do things on your own and you think you know stuff, if you're at all successful, then you think you know everything. You ever felt that way? You know, I did this, so surely I can do that. And I don't need, I don't need anybody else's help. Once again, with my father-in-law, I had, as, as you heard last week, about setting his tractor in the field on fire and the police showing up and all that. Carrie, you'll have to talk to them about that. <laughs> my father-in-law taught me a few things that were helpful, and one of those was being able to change the oil in my car. Now, you've probably not done that. Has anybody ever, I'm just curious. I always have to ask, really? All right, good for y'all, nice. Well, that's, that's, that's clap worthy right there, seriously. And y'all are thinking, it's no, it's no big deal, right? Well, it can be if you don't do it right. The problem is you have to, not every car sits up high enough for you just to kind of crawl underneath, right? And so you, you ladies know there's probably these, there's these ramps that you can buy that you drive the car up onto these ramps so that you can get underneath the car and access the oil pan, you can get to the oil filter. And so it's just these little ramps and you know you're there because it kind of sits down a little bit where the tire is once you get up there. And so I, I, my father-in-law had, had showed me how to use those, but he had always been around. He'd always been there, but he said, you know what, Lance, don't ever do this by yourself because you could be in a heap of trouble. And so, I was like, he's not around. I need to get this oil changed. This is the only day I have to do this. I'm just gonna pull out these ramps and I'm gonna go ahead and take care of it myself. So what you do is you pull out the ramps and here's, your, here's the tires, right? You roll them up, you kind of set them up next to it and the whole point is they're gonna roll up. So I, I got them positioned, right? And the reason you usually need two people is because sometimes you might turn a little bit to the left or turn a little bit, right? You're already nodding your head knowing where I'm going with this. You have to go on straight, right? It's important to be straight. And, and so I, I get up, I get the things there and I get in the car and the problem is, is I also have a stick shift car. <laughs> yeah. And if you've driven with a stick shift, you know what I'm saying, like you have to just let off that clutch at just the right time and trying to go up a hill with a clutch is even harder. And so I've got those in front of the tires and I'm dealing with the whole clutch thing and the clutch pops out a little bit too quick and the car just goes up the ramp, all the way over the ramp. So my car's hanging like kind of on the frame, basically kind of half leaning to the right. And I'm just like, oh my, what am I gonna do? Well, I went ahead and changed the oil <laughs> since it was up, but then I was like, how am I gonna get this thing down? And long story short, I finally got it down with jacks and different things, but it was stupid because again, I didn't listen. I did not listen to what was the truth. I didn't take good advice. 
And so last week we mentioned that passage of scripture that if we, if we listen, Jesus says, if we listen to his words and we, we put them into practice, it's like a house that's built on the rock, right? As opposed to a house that's built on the sand. And we're all gonna face troubles, we're all gonna face some crazy times, but when the, when the wind comes and the storms come, if we're built solidly on the foundation of God's word, if we're doing what he says, then we're gonna have a strong foundation. And this is just another example if I had just listened to my father-in-law, everything would have been fine. I wouldn't have, I was trying to save time, but instead I ended up messing up a little bit of the car and spending the entire day was kind of wasted trying to get this stupid car off to try to avoid embarrassment from my father-in-law. And I don't think he ever found out because I was trying to hide my stupidity from him. You ever tried to hide some stupidity <laughs> and mistakes? But your mistakes find you out eventually. Well, it's important then, again, who are we listening to? And sometimes that person can't be yourself. You think you know what's best sometimes. You think you got it all down, and you really don't. Who we can really trust all the time, who we can rely upon all the time, is the Lord. We can rely upon God, can't we? And so I wanted to look another, at another example in Scripture today of, of Jesus' example himself, actually. We find a really interesting way that, that Jesus, who is also the Word, and that's a kind of complicated theology, but how he also uses the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to turn there. I know we've got a bunch of different translations, which is cool. Maybe I'll ask you to read some out of a different translation. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 is where we are. So it says about Jesus that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's pretty interesting that, you know, one of the things if you, if you know about Christ is that he was tempted, but he never made a mistake. One of the things you know about Jesus is that he was perfect. And that's, that's really important that we know that. But it would be one thing if, if they said he was perfect, we're like, well, yeah, well, Jesus was never tempted, though. Jesus wasn't faced with all the same things we were faced. Jesus didn't have to deal with what I have to deal with. But Jesus was, was tempted, and yet he, he moved through those situations without sin. And so we're able to look at the example of Christ. And so that's, that's kind of key to the background of, of this passage and why he was out there. It says that he had been fasting, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, what? He was what? Doesn't that seem like a, oh, of course he was, kind of statement? Such a minimized, he was hungry. If you've, has anybody ever fasted for 40 days, 40 nights? Yeah. Have you really? Were you hungry? Yes. yes. I'm sure that's an understatement. Well, that's incredible. Wow. And I also did one for a whole year, one meal a day. Wow. We're going to have to talk. <laughs> and I fasted from television. That would probably be harder for me than the, I don't know, food, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, that's awesome. So, needless to say, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so, even at the time where he was just the weakest, he's being tempted, right? It's one thing to be tempted when we feel like we're strong, when, when the day is going good. And, you know, yeah, bring, bring for me, the diet thing has been big over the last year. So, like, yeah, I'm doing good. Bring on the cheesecake. I'm, I can handle it. I can walk through the midst of cheesecakes and dessert sections and and the raspberry things over there that I would just love to just go <laughs> with, you know? And on a good day, I got it. 
I can face that temptation, but Jesus came and was tempted when he was the weakest, physically the weakest. It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Satan comes and always attacks where you're the weakest, doesn't he? He knows, see, he's not God, he's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, he doesn't know all the stuff that God knows, but he does, he's been around long enough to know how to attack. He's been around long enough to know exactly which buttons to push. He knows you well enough to know exactly what to say, right? You ever have somebody in your life like that, you probably do, that, that knows all your buttons? right? They would know just a little turn of phrase that if they said this, it would just set you off. And so Satan comes and says, hey, let's, why don't you just turn some of these stones into bread? You can do it. You're God. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that had to be really hard to say when he was hungry, when he was pushed, when he was tempted. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's, we're gonna focus on some things, but that's a really strong statement. Because there's a lot of things in our life that we think we need, that we think we have to have to live. We think we ain't gonna make it unless we have this, unless we do this, unless this particular thing is in our life. There's lots of different kinds of loaves of bread that we just think we have to have. But what Jesus says, even in this moment where he's the weakest, where he's starving and he's hungry from all this time and and he's tempted with those things, is man doesn't live on bread alone. Sure, you need bread to live, but there are greater things, there are bigger things for your life to truly experience life. He says, he says we, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see the importance that's placed there in the word of God? We don't live on bread alone, but by every word. This, what it's saying then is that the word of God is something that's not just cool reading. It's not just, well, that's interesting, or it's not an academic pursuit. It is literally life itself. To be able to understand and to take in what God has to say helps us to live, helps us to understand life, helps us to move forward. It is It is above, really above bread, every word that comes from the mouth of God, we live on it. If, if, if you've been like me, you don't miss a meal. In fact, I've had a lot of big meals that I shouldn't have had. But what about this meal? What about the time and the word of God? What, what are we doing with this? Is, do we see that as just as essential, if not as it really is more essential? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. It's huge. And Jesus points that out and and says that, and that's key to hold on to this morning. We live on what God has to say. And it says, "Then then the devil took him to the holy city, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And it's interesting here because the devil actually quotes some scripture. 
If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. There's one scripture. And on your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now that's, that's interesting. We're going to pause there for a second. You know, scripture can be abused. It can be taken out of context. It can be used for the wrong reasons. And Jesus responds to him and, and says to him again, devil, Satan, it also says this, right? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So it's important who you listen to. We know that that's God. But the things that you have to realize, and you've probably heard some people say some crazy things and twist scripture, but one of the things I want to teach you today, and I think is really key and it's important, is that there's, a, there's, there's this mentality in Bible school that says scripture interprets scripture. And so you might hear someone say, well, the word of God says this, but then Jesus said, well, yeah, but it also says this. All of those statements have to come together to make sense, right? Parents know many times that, that kids can find a way to twist around what mom said and what dad said and make it sound like this. Try to push their agenda. And Satan knows the word of God as well as we see. And he can try to twist things around. It's important that we understand what the Word of God says, the whole counsel of Scripture, that we understand what the context is, that we understand, too, this is key, what was there, as we mentioned last week, the character of Jesus. Is God graceful and loving? The answer is yes, He is. So if you know that He's graceful and loving, when you encounter a passage of Scripture where it doesn't seem that way, you have to understand and take a step back and say, well, what's really happening here? Because the truth is that there are tough times that we'll go through that we've created. And there are also tough times that we'll go through that I believe that God gives us for a reason. To teach us things and, and to train us things. God doesn't wish ill for us. But as you've probably already seen, being a Christian doesn't mean that life's going to be rosy. That's just the truth of it. But we go through life with Christ right by our side. So... Jesus says that to him, and it continues on. Um, I lost my place. Okay, again, the devil took him, showed him that. Where am I? I'm lost. Thank you. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is why I need my wife here. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world, of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these... I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. I, I've always kind of found this passage interesting. Because what's the temptation here? Things of the world. Things of the world. Stuff. Materialism, if you will. Right? Everybody wants more stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh you're just agreeing with that? Okay. But... But one of the things that, that was interesting that I was thinking about is that Jesus already owns the world. He owns everything. And Satan had the gall and the audacity to try to, try to say, I'll give you these things. 
This doesn't belong to you. Satan, one of the things we, we, we know about him in Scripture is that he's, he's an angel of light, he's a deceiver. He'll try to use anything and everything to, to tempt you, to, to twist you up, to get you confused. Um, the, uh, reminds me of a story. I, I was, when I was a kid, I'm going to use all my stories up in like three weeks, and, <laughs> and y'all are going to be bored to, bored to tears after that. I was, I don't know, actually I think I was a teenager and I was going to the zoo in New York, walking with my dad and my sister up this kind of snowy, snowy path. There's like a little bit of snow, um, it was like in between, it was melted and there's a little bit of snow over here and off to the sides and these squirrels were running around. And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I went over to some of the snow that was everywhere and, it, and, and pick some up and was using that same snow to like pretend to like to feed the squirrels. I didn't have nuts or berries or something, you know, but I'm like, what could I give them that I could get these squirrels to come over here? I don't know why I was even thinking this. I, I had to be younger. I don't know. All right, this is, this is why our church is called Real Life Church because there is nothing that's not transparent. All my idiocy is on full display. We are who we are. Whatever age I was, I was a bonehead. So that, that part doesn't change. But I, I went over with, with snow and, and began to try to feed the squirrels, like put it down in my hand. Maybe I saw somebody else do this, I don't know. But I go down in the squirrel yeah, there's snow everywhere, by the way. <laughs> why, why is it all of a sudden tempting just because I hold it? You know, but I get down here, and, and this is what happened. The squirrel comes, ignores the snow that's in my hand, jumps up and runs up my leg, and I remember going, <laughs> shaking, shaking around, Dad, just like screaming, trying to shake the squirrel off of me. No. <laughs> so I kind of... I kind of step back. There's like some, some cartoon out there for kids lately, like if you, like where this guy can like listen to the squirrels and they're like, oh, he knows we're on. There's like, there's some plan with squirrels in this world. They're out to get us. And uh, I see, yeah, I agree. So I'm trying, trying to keep my distance from squirrels now. But I just thought it was fascinating that something that, that squirrel could have had at any moment somehow became a temptation to that squirrel. He could have gotten snow anywhere. And Satan has the ability to just take the things that are already readily available into your life and to make some kind of temptation out of it. He will use anything he can to distract you and, and to pull you off course. And maybe he's like that squirrel, I don't know, that just kind of jump up and attack and go, <laughs> and, go, and go after us. But it's just crazy that he can use anything to try to tempt us, to, to try to pull us away. Let's look at the rest of what it says. And so, Satan says, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. 
Now we see some cool insights as we look at this passage, but is there anything that sticks out to you? I think that's pretty awesome. You know, I, I don't, I wish I could see a little bit more of the spiritual realm, so to speak, but you know, angels have a, have a part to play in our lives. They really do, it's, it's in scripture. And they certainly attended Jesus. What else? Anything else stick out to you? Be gone, Satan, and he had to leave. <laughs> yeah, be gone, Satan, and he had to leave. Now, it's interesting that he was tempted how many times? Three, three. three different times. And every time, there is a certain consistency here. What did Jesus do? He responded with Scripture. Every time he responded with Scripture. Today, if you were tempted with something, do you think that you would be able to respond like Jesus did with the appropriate Scripture? It's a challenge, isn't it? Because, and this is, this is why it's important to know the Word of God. When we're tempted with a specific thing, what Satan is usually doing is, is trying to, to get us twisted. He's trying to get us, our focus pulled away. And it's important for us to know, well, what does God say about this? What does God say about that? What does God say about this particular area? The better we understand the Word of God, the better we know it, the better we are in dealing with, with temptation, in dealing with struggles in our life. If, if it's, it's kind of like this, and it, I really think the more time you spend in the Word of God, the better, obviously, but it, 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 it kind of marinates in your mind. You'd be surprised the things that kind of come up the more time you spend with the Word of God. It's like, like coffee, you know? You have to introduce the water to the bean, and the longer it sits there, what, it percolates. Is somebody use that word, we were talking about that last week, it percolates, it kind of pulls all that stuff, it just kind of gets permeated. You ever uh, marinated chicken? Yeah? And you, what do you do? That's it. Cut up some chicken and you let it, or, or put the whole breast and all the different things in, into something, right? You let it sit and what happens? It sucks it up. And it kind of becomes a part of that chicken, right? It becomes a part of that meal. And the Word of God, the more time that we spend with it, it becomes a part of us. There's a passage of Scripture, and I think it's in there, Psalm 119. I want to read, uh, did I put it in there? Yep. Awesome. We'll back up a little bit, but in Psalm 119, beginning with verse 10, it says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And it says in the ESV, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, this is the very first verse I ever memorized and for some reason it had it in King James. And so I say like this, thine word, you know, thine word. I'm not picking anyone that uses KJV. It's just, you got your kjv -er? All right, thine word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Storing God's word in our heart, and our heart is really that marinating process, isn't it? Our heart is a part of, it's, it's who we are, it's our core, it's our center, it's storing that on the inside. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin 
against you. And, I, and I'm not sure how much time you spend on, on scripture memorization. I've always been a horrible memorizer. But instead, yeah, but instead what I try to do is just read it a lot. Read it over and over and over. And I tell you, it's kind of like this old story I've heard that I don't know if they still do this, but they tell you the best way to, uh, this is how they train bankers, I'm told, tellers. Anybody ever worked at a bank? This guy back here has. So he can tell me if they still do this or not. But if, if someone's at the bank, they have to sort through money and they're counting money. And they also have to know the difference between what? Real money and counterfeit. Yeah. And so I always heard that the best way that they train them is they just spend a lot of time with the real money. They know what it feels like, know what it sounds like to slip through their hands as they're putting it down. And then if a counterfeit gets slipped in, all of a sudden they're like, this just, there's something wonky, if that's a word, about this, right? Doesn't feel right. And then you pull it out and you begin to do what? Hold it up. Yeah. You hold it up to the light. To distinguish the truth. And so, the more time we spend in the Word of God, we kind of, that detector, if you will, the Holy Spirit really, God Himself, kind of alerts you to things. This is, there's something about this is it, that isn't right. Mm-hmm. Something about this is just wrong. And let's, 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 let's hold it up to the light. Let's hold it up to the truth. Let's, let's see what, what's really going on here. So, thine word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And he says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With lips I declare all the rules or decrees, if you will, of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. This person is just pumped about the word of God. I delight in it. You know, they would, they would take kids, as kids were, uh, I'm told in the old, they would take scrolls and they would put honey at one point on the word of God and, then they would, and kids would, would lick the honey. I know it sounds kind of weird. But they would lick honey off of, of Old Testament scrolls. That they would know from an early age that, that the word of God was a sweet thing. In the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament too, you see that, I think it was Jeremiah that it, it talks about, and in, in, in maybe even in Revelation, ingesting, eating a, a, a scroll, eating the word of God. And so it's this, this idea of taking it in, when you eat something, when you consume something, right, it becomes a part of you. You ever heard of the, the phrase, right? You are, you are what you eat. And there's a computer phrase, too, you've probably heard, too, garbage in, garbage out. What kind of things are coming in? What kind of things are we consuming? And this, this psalmist is saying, I, I love the word of God. And in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Meditate isn't just, you know, reading it to check off a box. I'm sure as Toby's place, you got a lot of homework, so to speak, right? But can it be more than homework? Can it be more than, yeah, I read the book, these couple of chapters today. Can it be like I spent time in this and it's become a part of me. It's, it's who I am. You'll be surprised in the times when you do face struggles later on, what comes out and what God will remind you of, the things that have been stored up in your heart, the things that have become a part of your life that that God just pulls out because they're marinated, they're a part of you. I meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. 
It's so important that you get this. Because you're in a great environment. You're in a great atmosphere here, right? You're in kind of like a, a holy bubble, really. You're protected, which is great, and we want that for you. We want you to feel that healing and, and, and understand and know the presence of God. But when the time comes that, that you have to move on from Toby's place, this is what will sustain you. This is the bread of life. This is what will keep you strong. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes in your ways. I will delight in your statutes. And I like this. I will not... I will not forget your word. Again, this isn't, this isn't intellectual. This isn't about quoting the most scriptures. This isn't a, this is about taking it in. We're looking at a couple more passages today regarding Scripture. We're going to take a look at 2 Timothy. If you would turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, we're going to look at verses 16 to begin with. And uh, we're going to have this on the screen, but I would love someone that's got an NIV Bible to read this. Who's an NIV Bible? All right. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Awesome. Let's break that down a little bit. So all scripture is breathed out by who? God. Comes from God. Don't come from, from man. Comes from him. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it says this, and it's profitable for these things. This is what it's good for. This is what it's useful for. This is this is what you do with it. And we've already seen a good example of that in the Old Testament, but it's profitable for teaching. What we're doing right now, right? This is what God has to say about this and this and this. How do we know how to live? What do I do about this area? This is what the Word of God has to say. So it's, it's profitable for teaching. That's the most obvious thing I think that we would all agree on. But it's also profitable for this. It's profitable for, for reproof. And this is what reproof is. That's like a really weird word. We don't really use that word, okay? So reproof is, um, it's simply this, stop. Okay? What, you are, what you are doing is wrong. If my father-in-law had come home as I'm like lining up the blocks under the car here to roll up on, he would be like, Lance, what are you doing? So it's initially, it's, it's, so it's, we know it's for teaching, but it's for reproof. It's like, stop. What you're doing is wrong. It points out things that aren't right in the sense that you should stop doing something and also in the sense that you should start doing something. That's really key, because we need to know. But it doesn't stop there, so it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and then this is so great, for correction. Have you ever experienced a problem that you didn't know how to fix it, right? You didn't know what to do about it. The Word of God says, stop, and it says, here's what you do now. 
This is how you fix it. This is what you do next. This is how to live. That's why the Word of God is so valuable. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is kind of more than just the whole blanket statement of this. For training in righteousness, to understand overall how to live, how to be a servant of God, what it means to, to be a Christian, what it means to follow the Lord in, in every aspect of life. That's why it's key. That's why it's important. That's why you, you, you hold it close. And that's why I really love the fact that y'all are, are bringing physical Bibles, you know? Because it's just, uh, there was a period of time, and this is going to sound cheesy, but my Bible to me was kind of like my teddy bear, you know? My original Bible that I first had is all, all beat up, you know? But there's something about that, that holding on to it tan- tangibly, you know? Nothing wrong with technology. I got it on my phone. I got it everywhere. It's helpful. But it's just good to be able to hold on to that. Because, just you know, you can underline it, and you come back to it, and you write notes down, at least I do, don't be afraid to do that. And you remember different times in your life. You also remember different kind of eureka moments, if you will, where the, the Spirit of God has said something special to you and you've written it down. You're like, you get that passage more than ever. And, and it's important, too, because we need to be reminded. Sometimes we forget what God had to say. We forget uh, uh, pastors, they, their, their job is, is not to teach anything new to you. It's to simply remind you of what's already here. You don't need me. God's given us all a gift in different aspects of the church, but all, all, all pastors are just big reminders. Hey, do you remember what it says here? Remember what it says over here? Oh, you're struggling with this? I remember this passage that's over here. We try to say it in a way that, that makes sense, that we remember, that we grasp it, that we live it, that we, that we put it into action. That the man of God, it says, may be competent. And that, when it says man of God, it's referring to women as well. So that doesn't mean you, you get out, ladies, okay? It's referring to you. They may be competent and equipped, equipped for every good work. Every good work meaning that you're, you're putting it into action, Right? It's like what we, went, we talked about last week. It's no, it's no good just to hear it. It's no good just to read it. You have to do something about it. It's like getting medication. You've got the instructions in front of you. Take this pill, you know, three times a day, on, not on an empty stomach, right? And we get part of it right, and we, we start taking it, but then we take it on an empty stomach, we get sick, and we throw it up. No, that's not the instructions, you know. Yeah, I said throw up in church, okay. <laughs> we have to put it into action. We put it into practice so that we're equipped for every good work. We do something about it. And with that said, we're going to turn to another passage in the book of James. James chapter 1. We're going to start with, to give us a little bit of context, with verse 22. The book of James is after Hebrews. So we're going to wrap up with this passage, but this is cool. If you, has anybody read the book of James before? It is an awesome book. 
very practical, really just rubber meets the road kind of stuff. And so in the book of James, 122 is where we're going to start. It says this, simply, be what? Doers. Be doers of the word. See, we couldn't skip over that part from the passage that we read last week, could we? Jesus says, all those who hear my words are like a house built on a foundation of stone. Is that what he said? Hear and do. do. Putting the, we gotta take the medicine the right way. You know, we have to uh, have somebody else to line up the blocks, okay? Be doers, be doers of the word. It doesn't do any good to just hear only. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, right? What good does it do if you hear stuff and you do nothing about it? I know all the right things. I know all the right stuff, but you never put it into action. It's worthless, isn't it? Knowledge is worthless unless it's applied. If we do nothing with it, it can't change anything. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I think there's a lot of people, and I've, I've been one of them at times too, that just think just because we show up to church on Sunday morning and we sit down and we listen, kind of check off the box that we've accomplished something. But that action, the doing part, that's, that's where it, the rubber meets the road. So, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. And he gives this great example and he says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is kind of what this guy's like, okay? He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face and a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What's the point of a mirror? See what you look like. You know? You might as well remove the mirrors in guys' restrooms. They don't care. <laughs> but the ladies, y'all have to have one, right? You have to get in there, and, and, and if, you, if you get, and you're fixing your hair, you're doing your makeup, you're doing you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and it's important to you to have that, to be able to see what's going on. But guys, they, they could walk past, and if I had hair, it, if it was like off to the side, they'd be like, you know, who cares? You know, guys might, you know, you, know you, you look in the mirror, you check yourself out for a reason. You check yourself out to do something about it. What is the point of a mirror if you never use it, right? You need it to understand that something's out of place. Something needs to be addressed. Something needs to be fixed. And the, the word of God, according to James, is like that. It's a mirror. Because when you read and you see what God has to say in here, the Spirit of God talks to you and says, here's something that needs to be fixed. Here's something that's out of place. Here's something that's wrong. Here's something that you haven't been doing that you ought to be doing. And so when you look at this mirror, God is expecting us, when we set it down and we close it, to actually do something about it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you ladies because with whatever struggles you've had in your life, you've done something about it because you're here, aren't you? 
you're here. That's huge. The word of God says, Lance, you, you, need to, you need to check your pride, man. You think you know how to fix cars all by yourself. You think you know how to handle uh, fires and you've turned it into a forest fire and burn up people's tractors. You, you, you think you're all that in a bag of chips and you're not. You, get, you gotta deal with your pride. You gotta deal with actually this, getting help from other people. That's part of my problem is as an introvert, you, this is taking a lot of energy. You're like, that dude's an introvert? Yeah. As an introvert, I don't like to, I hate the phone. I hate the telephone. I hate, I hate being in crowds where I, there's a bunch of strangers that I don't know. That's like the most terrifying thing for me. And so I'm like always looking for someone I know and I'm like, honey, please go with me. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a kid, my, I would ask my sister to go up to the counter at McDonald's to get ketchup for me because I was too afraid to get someone's attention or to get a refill in a cup or you know, something of that nature because I, you know, and part of that, well, I don't want the help of other people. I can do this on my own. We need the Lord's help. And he, and he points out things and he says, this is something that needs to change. Lance, deal with your pride. Deal with, with you thinking you can do this on your own. Step out and talk to other people. Do what I'm calling you to do. Do what I'm telling you to do. For he looks at himself, verse 24, and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That's not what it's like. It's not one ear and out the other. He says this, but, here's the but, the one who looks into the perfect law, the word of God, the one who actually looks at it. And I like what it says next, the law of what? Liberty. Liberty. This isn't something that binds you down. This isn't some list of things to do. This isn't some checkbox that, oh man, I, now I've got the 10 commandments I gotta keep up with and I gotta keep up with this thing and that thing. The word of God is not meant to be a burden. It is meant to free you. It is meant to show you what life is really all about, how it makes sense, how God intended for it to be, how you walk in the ways of God. It's a law of liberty. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, meaning that you're someone that does something about it. You follow through. You finish up. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer, I like this, a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. A doer who acts. When you read the word of God this week, will you look and stop at the end of that time and say, God, okay, so what are you telling me? What do I need to be doing that I haven't been doing? Now we don't, uh, I'm gonna have to talk to Carrie about this, maybe we can fashion something, but we don't have an altar up here, but this is a patch of ground. There you go, floor, pretty nice floor. We're gonna play a song, okay, uh, called I Will Build My Life, and essentially, what we were talking about last week of that particular passage of scripture. If you want some time to just talk with God as we sing, this is your area, okay? 
if, if you want to come, no one's, this is not a weird, creepy kind of, you know, I've been in churches where like the pastor would go on and they continue to play songs, Amazing Grace, all 25 verses, <laughs> until somebody came forward. No one's going to be up here but you. But if you want some time to just maybe get on your knees, and you don't have to get out of your seats, it doesn't matter. I just want to give you that opportunity. We're going to close in a song. But use this time to talk with the Lord you know, about whatever it is, whatever you're facing today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever, whatever issue he's bringing to your mind. You know, he, deal, he deals with us all differently. And uh, so I just want to give you that time. And that's, we'll just sing.
upon your love it's a firm foundation Lord we'll put our trust in you alone because we know that if our trust is in you that we won't be shaken when the storms come Lord that you'll, you'll be our strength Lord we love you we thank you so much for the grace that you show us Thank you that you walk with us. You walk beside us. You're the one that holds us up. As your word says, you are the lifter of our head. We thank you for this morning. Together, we thank you for your presence with us today. Strengthen us. Give us a greater hunger for your word, a greater knowledge of your word. But Lord, help us to put it into action. Help us to take steps every day. Lord, let it truly be a part of us. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.